welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff. Joining me from our remote location is my usual co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Jeff. It's uh, it's playoff time, and I love the postseason. I do, too. I just hate every team that is still alive, so it doesn't doesn't make for a great watch. <laughs> right. Point. But hockey started up too. So I got that as well. But I'm still watching every game. But I got to say, I, I get angry. I get angry when I watch these games. I think it was game two of the Red Sox and Astros. It was, it was spring training uniforms. What's up with that? For both teams, we had orange versus navy blue. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell these kids to get off my lawn and I'm going to yell at the cloud because that just drives me crazy. I don't know what, what is the deal except for trying to sell. Maybe they had a, a bulk of uh, extra uniforms lying around from spring training. We got to sell these things. Send them out dressed up that way, well, you know? I, I assume it's still the starting pitcher's choice as to what uniforms they wear. And thankfully, so far at least, MLB gave the Red Sox their permission to wear those just awful City Connect uniforms, which I know a lot of Red Sox fans love because they look like uh, they look like the Boston Marathon. And so I get it. I get it. it's got some connection to the city. They're awful. Don't wear them in the playoffs. It's bad enough. I, I, it's the Red Sox. You should have two uniforms. You should have your your home Red Sox in that script. And you should have your road grays, say Boston in blue. That's it. Tradition, you know? Yeah. And then the Astros with those traffic cone uniforms, I just, I don't care for. Another thing about the Red Sox, you know, we've done two Red Sox podcasts almost in a row. I'm, I'm being a little critical of them here. I think it's Christian Vasquez. I'm not sure who it is on the Red Sox is wearing all green shoes. That's interesting. It's all okay. So we talked about this a while ago and MLB had lifted the rule where you had your shoes had to be like 90% white and then the other 10% could be a team color of which the A's had always been exempt. And, and so it led to I was a little worried that everybody was going to be wearing all white shoes. Well, the all green shoes with the Red Sox uniform is really not a good look. Oh, I see. Yeah, it looks like a Christmas tree. It looks like the uh, it looks like the the New Jersey Devils have a throwback jersey. They used to wear them all the time that are green and red and they're atrocious. That's kind of what it reminds me of. Well, you know, it, it's uh, I don't think they understand how there is a fashion sense out there for baseball uniforms, you know, and and obviously you're one of the guys that's got it. I just kind of go with what you say, man. Yeah, I just don't I don't want to be that old man yelling at it but i just i can't stand them i just baseball uniforms are so awesome i love them and i texted you the other day i think baseball uniforms are the only professional sport that have buttons in their uniforms yes i think you're right i was gonna say buckles too but then uh, you know watching hockey goalies definitely have buckles on their on their pads but that's not really that's equipment that's not their uniform sure I think everybody else has like drawstrings most places, but baseball uniforms have buttons and they have buckles. And I'm not sure anybody else does. You may be right. Uh, unless it's some bizarro uh, medieval sports. Yeah. That, uh, well, we don't play anymore. I mean, none of the big four sports do. Cricket yeah, doesn't. They, they've got the drawstrings and the pullovers. 
you know, curling has zippers. I'm guessing they have belts too. All right, let's let's get off of the those details. Uh, let's talk some baseball history. I got a couple of more things here in our BP segment before we get to the main part of the show. This was really mind-boggling to me, some of these numbers. From 1920 to 1935, Babe Ruth stole 110 bases. Pretty impressive, Babe Ruth. Yes. Home run hitter, good hitter. Thought of by most casual fans probably as being a bit portly, which he was at the end of his career, but like Tony Gwen, was a, was a slimmer guy throughout most of his career. Okay, so he still steals 110 bases. You know how many times he was caught stealing? How many? 117. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of odds are those? That is a stolen base success rate of 485. But (laughs) guess who is right behind him as a candidate for the worst base stealer of all time? And, And I'm creating a new metric, by the way, called WSB. Or worse, stolen bases. <laughs> the the one and only player that was was right there with Babe Ruth is none other than Lou Gehrig. <laughs> well, these guys were. Uh, who knew that they were small ball experts? You know, Lou Gehrig over his seventeen year career, he stole a hundred and two bases and was caught one hundred times even. What were these guys doing running? This is this is a power hitting team. I don't understand. Yeah. So in 1930, he stole 12, was caught 14 times. The, the next year, he stole 17, but was caught 12 times. Just not a lot of good stolen base <laughs> attempts there. For, for Babe Ruth, who again was just a little bit better, Babe Ruth had double figures in stolen bases five times in his career. He had... Uh, five times caught stealing in double digits in his career. In 1923, he stole 17, got caught 21 times. What in the world? Uh, Was it the 1922 World Series where he got thrown out, caught stealing for the final out of the series? Oh, yes, that's right. I'm not sure if it was 22. It was either 22. Well, he was only he only appeared in three World Series where they didn't win. 21, 22, or 26. So it's one of those three. I, I want to say it's 22, but... It was 1926. 1926. There you go. That saved us a fine. It was actually uh, supposed to be a hit and run, and Bob Musel took a cut and uh, missed the whole hit thing. Uh, all right. So I thought that was kind of interesting, those numbers of uh, some caught stealings there. Last week, remember, we talked about Randy Rosarena. Well, he's not going to be hitting any more home runs this postseason, obviously. But I did want to talk about somebody that uh, you're probably a fan of that is still hitting home runs and has hit a lot of them in his postseason career. That's Jose Altuve. Oh, yes. So we mentioned last week that Manny Ramirez holds the record with 29 career postseason home runs. And we were questioning, is Randy Rosarena going to be able to get enough ABs to to challenge that? Well, Jose Altuve, I believe he sits at 20 at the time of our recording here, because I think he hit one this week. So he is tied now with Derek Jeter. For third place, Bernie Williams has got 22. He's in second. And then you jump up to Manny Ramirez with 29. So Altuve with a definite chance to catch Manny Ramirez at some point. Yes, he's been uh, pretty much in fuego lately, too. Hit for a lot of power this year. 
All right, I hate to do it before we get into trivia, and it is related to trivia from last week. We're going to have to go to court. Uh-oh. Yeah, so Andrew Harner, who's one of our regulars and is one of our regular guys that gets our trivia question right, questioned us about our answer last week. Our trivia question last week that we answered was who stole the most bases in the final season of their career and how many? And we were gushing about Darby O'Brien. Yes. The Italian stallion, Darby O'Brien, who stole 57 bases for Brooklyn in 1892 and then unfortunately passed away the next year. So we thought that that was the answer, but we were wrong. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So Andrew Harner directed us to a player by the name of Billy Sunday. Now, I initially thought that Billy Sunday, I was sure that he was part of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids gang. But apparently, uh, he was also widely considered one of the most influential American evangelists during the first two decades of the 20th century, as well as being an outfielder in professional baseball for eight years. So in the 1890 season, which was his last year in the big leagues, again, this whole question is most stolen bases last year in their career. He split time between the Pittsburgh Alleghenies and the Philadelphia Phillies, and he ended up stealing 84 bases. Wow. In one season. No caught stealing was not kept at that point, so there's no no numbers on that, but he stole 84 bases, and I think that's got to be the answer now. I think he's kicked Darby O'Brien to the curb. 84 is, yeah, I think we got ourselves a winner. Uh, well, here, let, let, let me do the math here. Yep, 84, greater than 57. So we're going we're gonna to go with that as greater. A uh, little interesting facts here on, on Billy Sunday. That If we just remember, though, that Billy Sunday, as well as Darby O'Brien, when they were playing in that era, when a runner took an extra base, they were credited with a stolen base. So if they were on first and the batter singled and they ended up on third, they got a stolen base. If they were on first and the batter doubled and they ended up scoring, they got credit for, I guess, stealing home at that point. So numbers are a little bit off, kind of like sliding Billy Hamilton when we talk about him. That rule was finally changed in 1898. So there is a little bit of a caveat to that, but Billy Sunday was a... He was an okay outfielder. He was very fast. If we look at his defense here, very interesting. For an outfielder, in eight years, he is credited with 136 errors. Oh. So he had seasons where he had 27, 25, 21, 31. And uh, yeah, he was not a great outfielder, not a great hitter, but he was very fast. And that's why, uh, why the parson or the evangelist stuck around for seven years before he decided to go preach, I guess. How does one get that many errors in the outfield? Well, remember, they're not playing with gloves at this point. Uh, The article I read on Billy Sunday is that he would dive and throw himself at balls. (laughs) So, I mean, again, scoring was different back then. So, and, and, and obviously the rules were a lot different back then. No gloves. I can imagine you drop a lot of balls if you're not using a a, a mitt or a glove at that point. But Billy Sunday, there you go. And thank you. you. Thank you, Andrew Harner, for for pointing that out. We're going to go ahead and find Mark. 
$2.40 for that. There you go. All right. Put it on my tab. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, the question that we did ask last week was that uh, we don't know who's going to win the American League or National League Cy Young or MVPs this year, but more than likely they did not play in the postseason this year. When was the last time that happened? Do you have any idea, sir? No, my uh, my guess, I believe I made a guess last week and it wasn't right. Okay, well, yes, you're, you're, you're wrong regardless. Last time that happened was 1987, quite a while okay. ago. Right in our yeah. wheelhouse, though. But uh, Cy Young Award winners that year, Steve Bedrosian for the Phillies, Roger Clemens for the Red Sox, and the MVPs were George Bell and Andre Dawson. So none of those teams made the playoffs that year. The last year that neither the Cy Young Award winner or the MVP was involved in the postseason. We got a couple of right answers this week. The uh, Brian Krause, Don Sherman, Pete Mayers, and Jose Sines, who I know how to say his last name because it's like Almedo Sines. Uh, they were our correct answers this week, so congratulations. Let's take a look at a new trivia question that we'll give you the answer for next week, and that is, who is the only player of the modern era? Don't go back in the 1800s. We'll just say that. Who is the only player in the modern era to lead the league in home runs in a season without ever hitting a ball over the fence? Nice. <laughs> so no home run shots here. Nice. Got to leg it okay. out. All right. So if you've got a answer for that, go ahead and uh, get a hold of us somehow and let us know. Hopefully you got it. Uh, if not, uh, I'm going to get fined. So let's yeah. make sure it's right. I guess there's no skin off my back either way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let the grounds crew come out and do their stuff. And let us jump into the main segment of the show. And I've got something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. So let's just get right into it. We've made mention of many baseball cards on this show. I mean, half the show is literally us opening and talking about baseball cards. But there are a couple that have been mentioned multiple times. And if there were a hall of fame for individual cards, this one would no doubt be in the inaugural class. Why? Because the player shares the card with a live animal. Now, I could be talking about the 1991 studio card featuring Steve Lake and his pet parrot Ruffles, but I'm not. It's also strange that Jeff Parrott didn't actually have a card like this at some point, but I'm not a card executive, so. Uh, it is not the 1887 Old Judge cigarette card featuring infielder Art Whitney and his dog Midge. That was probably your guess, wasn't it, Mark, of what I was going I was going about. with Midge, for yeah. sure. So that card has sold recently for $1,372. The interesting thing about that card is it was actually graded when it was sold that much. It was graded authentic. That, that authentic. is literally <laughs> the lowest grade a card can receive. It basically means, yep, that is a baseball card, not a toaster oven. That used to be a baseball card, we're pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> but it still <laughs> went for $1,300, almost $1,400, graded as it's a card. So... It's a good card to have. <laughs> the card I want to talk about is also not one of a mascot. It's not a of uh, not even of a bat dog, which is pretty awesome regardless. 
It is not a Milkbone set that was released in 1993 with players and their dogs. Not the Rally Squirrel that sprinted in front of Skip Schumacher during that bat of the 2011 NLDS and later immortalized by Topps with its own card. And finally, it is not even the aforementioned Jeff Parrott. Uh, if it wasn't Jeff Parrott, um, was it Mike Trout? Uh, no, nor was it Jimmy Fox. How about Jake Lamb? Uh, nope, not Rob Deere either. Um, John Buck? Uh, nope, uh, and you can scratch Kevin Bass off that list. Oh, I remember Mike Carp. What about Marlon Bird? Nope, not Marlon Bird. How about Timmy Salmon? Uh, nope, no, no Tim Salmon, no Randy Wolf either. Can I use a, <laughs> can I use a Joey? Because uh, a Joey's a baby kangaroo. Like Joey... Joey Gallo. No, still no, no Joe, Joey Gallo, nor Goose Goslin. Okay, how about Chester Guppy? <laughs> no, it was nor <laughs> Chester Guppy. Uh, it's not Brad Peacock either. Rabbit Moranville. How about, was it him? Uh, no, nor was it Oyster Burns. How about Butch Husky? Does that count? Uh, no, not Butch Husky, nor Hippo Vaughn. I think, I believe there was a Bob Moose. Well, that's new to me, but it's not him. It's not Paul Bird, nor is it Eric Fox, nor is it Steve Lyons, nor Catfish Hunter, nor Randy Wolf. I don't think if I, I don't know if I've said Randy Wolf yet. It's not even Chicken Wolf, who we have most definitely covered before. And it's not even the brief career of Chicken Hawks. Wow. Yeah, this segment, uh, by the way, almost became basically what we just did, naming every player with an animal as part of their first to last name, but what no. about Hawk Harrelson? Uh, definitely not Hawk Harrelson. No. I thought you'd, I thought you'd want him mentioned. No, that's all. <laughs> no, I am talking about the 1984 Fleer card featuring Glenn Hubbard with an eight foot boa constrictor draped over his shoulders. Now, how do I know it is an eight foot boa constrictor? Because this is a fact that the baseball hall of fame has actually gone through and confirmed. Wow. Yeah, so first of all, this card is a Hall of Fame card. You can find this card in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown because it is such a well-known card. If I had to describe this card in one word, it would be circus. <laughs> there is so much going on in this card. Beyond the snake, which is undoubtedly the star of the show, the shot was taken at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, and in the background of the shot is the Philly fanatic, because he's cool, a couple of other mascots, one of which I'm told is supposed to be Barney Rubble, but I, I do not see a Barney Rubble-esque mascot in the background. But I did look him up. Barney Rubble is the noted shortstop of the Bedrock Quarry 9, a very uh, minor uh, club back in the Stone Ages. Minor, yes. Uh, they, uh, there's also balloons, there's flags. It basically is like a circus on the field. So the story behind the card is this. The Hammers were in Philadelphia to take on the Phillies, and it happened to be the Fanatic's birthday. And if we know one thing about the Fanatic, it's he parties and he parties hard. So that's what's going on, and it was a pregame thing. Uh, the Fanatic also has one rule when he parties. It's not a Fanatic party unless there's a large snake. <laughs> Covered. Of course. They got it. It was in his rider. They had to, they had to get it there, and, and there was a large snake at this party. Well... Glenn Hubbard, growing up, loved snakes. He had snakes. He would bring snakes home and be told that he cannot have them. Whatever. He loved snakes, fan of snakes. 
he saw the snake being displayed for the fanatic and he's like, I got to get my picture taken with that. So he goes over and he's talking with a guy that's that's handling the snake, puts it around his neck and stops the photographer and says, hey, can you take a picture of me like, you know, with this snake? So the photographer was like, sure, Glenn Hubbard, major league professional baseball player. I can do that. So he takes it unbeknownst to Glenn Hubbard, but now, of course, notes to both he and us. That photographer worked for FLIR. So the picture's taken, right? The photographer sends a picture of it to Glenn a month or so later. Hubbard is psyched about it. He thinks this is a great picture. He frames it, puts it up on his wall down in his, I don't know if they had man caves back then, but he said he hung it up. It's framed, it's hung up, it's there. End of story, he's got a cool picture nobody else has, that's it. So let's fast forward now to next spring. Spring training. He's down there getting his work done and a kid comes up and asks him for an autograph and hands him this baseball card with a snake around his neck. Now, as much as he liked the picture, he was not exactly thrilled that it was on a baseball card. He was a baseball player and he wanted to look like one. So he makes a call to Fleer and asks for the manager. <laughs> this is a mid 80s Chad right here. He wants this card removed from the market immediately. Now, how exactly he expected that to be done, I do not know. That's like trying to erase something from the internet. You just, you're not, this is not going to happen. Well, one now, way. Once he, they're out there. Yeah, once they're out there. And I mean, obviously, if kids are bringing it to sign, he's, it's, they're out there. That's right. So one way he went about this is when somebody would mail him the card to be autographed, he would put a different card in there, sign it and send it back and then just keep the one that they (laughs) sent. So he is trying one by one to rid the market of this card. (laughs) One at a time. One at a time. Uh, His stance has since changed on this card. Hubbard said this about the card since then. Quote, thinking back on it, man, it's one of the best cards. Not because of me, but because of the snake around my neck. I look like a snake charmer with the beard and all that stuff. I mean, the card is perfect, end quote. So one thing I didn't mention on the card is he's got a scruffy beard at this point, which today fits right in. You you look at this and you wouldn't think anything of it. But back in the mid 80s, players did not have these mountain men grizzly beards on. So it is another thing that just stands out about this card. Hubbard also tells people that uh, he's still uh, that that's his snake and he still has it living in his basement. Obviously, <laughs> it's not his snake. But speaking of that beard, as we were just doing, again, would fit right in today, but not so much back at that point. In fact, the Hammers actually forbid facial hair until they traded for reliever Gene Garber, who always had a beard. So get a star. They want a rule change. They change the rule. They say, okay, you can have facial hair. Hubbard said, great, and threw his razors away. So much of a rarity that during the 1983 All-Star Game that Hubbard took part in, Vin Scully and Joe Gargiola made note of it during his at-bat. Here's the bearded wonder, Glenn Hubbard. One of the Stone Mountain boys. Looks like he came off a cough drop box, but he can really play. He's the only National League second baseman hitting 300. And with a runner going, it's a one hopper and eats up Ripken. And everybody's safe. Boy, that thing exploded. 
going to say that Hubbard is a little guy, but he's got a lot of power. Obviously, this card is still a source of interest today. I say as I talk about this card for the last 15 minutes, obviously still of interest today. In 2016, Hubbard was a coach for the Lexington Legends. And for a game in June, the first 1,000 fans got a Glenn Hubbard bobblehead complete with a snake and, quote, lifelike beard and hair. Very nice. No word on where this lifelike beard and hair was coming from. Like, if it, is this human hair or not? I don't know. Currently, <laughs> this bobblehead is going for $125 on eBay. So you wow. can no own kidding. that today. The card is still going from between 15 and 20 bucks as well. So what are those rare? Well, you know, we're kind of early 80s here. So some of those cards still have some value, but 15 to 20 bucks is, is pretty good value for a card from 1984. For sure. So while Glenn Hubbard didn't make it to the Hall of Fame, his 1984 Fleer baseball card did. As I said, it is on display in Cooperstown in an exhibit featuring baseball cards. And uh, I do not have this card. Do you have this card? I, I don't have this card. It might have to go on the list, though. Yeah, I think maybe. cards to obtain. Maybe we should, maybe we should make a, a baseball card Hall of Fame here and Ooh. make it 80s and 90s specific. Because, you know, we don't want to. I got to get that Willie Mays and, and Mickey Mantle <laughs> rookie card. Like, we're not going to do that. Maybe we need to make a, a baseball Hall of Fame, baseball card Hall of Fame for two strike noise and we need to collect these cards and display them somehow nft I, that's i just did it we just we just came up with our first first two strike noise nft it's going to be this i'm in i don't know how we go about making an nft but we'll do it and then we're going to put it on the market so that's it that's my story of glenn hubbard and the infamous 1984 fleer Boa Constrictor card. That's good stuff, Jeff. All right. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time wax for Wax Hero. Before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark... With that, which team are you picking? Well, I think uh, 
with all that stuff about Hubbard, I think I'm going to go with the Braves, the Bravos, the Hammers. The Hammers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. So I need to, uh, using my strategy, I need to go with their natural rivals, which I guess uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to the, I'm going to go back to the, to the 2000s the 90s and the 2000s, and their big rival. I'm going to go with the New York Metropolitans then. Very nice. Okay. So we're going to do, we got something a little bit different today. Uh, so, you know, we've had packs sent in by by listeners before. Uh, we've got wax packs we've opened up from 84 all the way to 2006. My best friend uh, donated a, I, I don't know what the actual weight is, but a metric ton of loose baseball, hockey, and football cards to me. Now, I don't know how many there are. There are, I mean, it is a huge tub of loose cards. There are thousands of cards in there. So I thought it would be fun. I went in, I grabbed uh, some cards from a specific year. These are almost complete sets. And then what I did is I threw... I think there were 640 cards, something like that in this set. I threw 640 numbers, one through 640, into random.org and had it just randomly choose 20 numbers. And then I pulled those card numbers out, split them into 10, shuffled them up, and we're going to, we're not going to open them, but we're going to look through them. So I've got two stacks of 10 loose cards here. I have not seen who was on them. I just picked the number out and then put them in a pile. So, Mark, I'm going to have you choose if you want the left or the right pile. This is the hardest part of the show for me, you know, because... The only part you have control. Left or right, it's never like north or west or anything like that. Here, okay, I've got one in the north position and one in the west position. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, west. All right. Uh, I'm going to have you go first, as usual. Remember, last week, I crushed you. Yes. Uh, and I got my first win in a while. Right now, you are in the lead with five wins to my four. We did have a lot of people calling to give myself two wins because I doubled your score last week. But we're <laughs> going to we're going to keep it where we are and uh, we'll just get going with this. So we got 10 loose cards here. These are from the 1992 Pinnacle set. So we've opened this uh, this set before. This is where I got that Tom Glavin where he's on hockey skates. There are some right. there are some interesting inserts in these uh, in these cards. So hopefully we'll get a couple of those. So let's get right to it here. Uh, your first card is uh, with the Orioles. It is none other than Cheeto Martinez. Cheeto, not to be uh, mixed up with Tino or Chester Cheetah. Yeah, or that guy. Cheeto. I don't really remember Cheeto too much. I would think with that name. I remember him. Three years in the big leagues, all of which were with the Orioles. Not a bad rookie year. His first year, 1991, he had 13 bombs, 33 RBI in only 67 games for a 126 OPS. In 92, which is what we're looking at, he ended up with a 116 OPS. And then the next year, he only appeared in eight games for a minus 39 OPS plus. So a a brief career, but I'm assuming he must have gotten injured. Because uh, that would that would be my guess. Yeah, he had some good years there. Born in Belize, huh? The only player in Major League history born in Belize. Wow. Let's see. Nineteen ninety-two. That equates to a WAR of point eight. Mm, I think those are real. I can see they're not just straight up and down. So uh, I'll go ahead and I'll give you an extra tenth of a point on that. So you're going to start out with a point nine. Point nine from Cheeto. 
Martinez. So Cheeto was the, the first Orioles player to record a hit in each of his first six major league games. Well, you got to be happy with that. Well, yeah, the next line, it would be a, it would be the high point of his career. After his power <laughs> dropped dramatically, he quickly faded away, appeared in eight games in 93 before disappearing for the major leagues. All right, your next card is one of those cool inserts that I was talking about. This is called a grips card. And uh, I've got to assume that it shows you uh, different pitchers' grips of different pitches that they throw. Here you have got Charles Nagy, and it's showing you how to throw his slider. Nice. Hey, that's cool. Go Charles Nagy. Yes, Nagy had uh, had some pretty good years. Yeah, he was one of those guys. He was on uh, he was on the Guardians for quite a while, actually, fourteen years in the big leagues, thirteen of which were with Cleveland, and then his final year in two thousand and three was with the Padres. Two thousand and two, he only appeared in nineteen games, went one and four with an eight point eight eight ERA. So of those years, I said he had good ones. This is not one of them. Yeah, he uh, in his 30s, his middle 30s, he really declined. Uh, And that will equate to a war of minus 1.3. That's a chunk to go in the minus there. Thanks a lot, Mr. Mr. I throw a slider. Yeah, and there's nothing on this card that's going to help you one way or the other. So that's just going to be a minus 1.3. That'll take you down to a minus 0.4. 2010, Nagy was apparently the pitching coach of the Arizona Diamondbacks that, well, in, uh, he was named in October of 2010 as the Diamondbacks pitching coach. So I'm assuming that he went on to become them. He was fired in 2013, partly for refusing to instruct pitchers to hit players on opposing teams. Yeah, you got you, you can only suggest that. You can't be telling them to do that. Well, it was noted that the Diamondbacks pitchers that last season actually hit 60 batters while they were only hit 43 times. So it was trying to start something, I guess, is what they were looking for. All right. So you're at minus 0.4 after two cards. Now you've got a pitcher for the Bucks. Uh, I hate to tell you this. He's definitely wearing two and ones. It is pitcher Bill Landrum. I do not know who Bill Landrum was. Let's see, Bill Landrum, I can tell you this, he pitched for the Pirates one year. Well, there you go. He pitched for the Pirates actually three years, eight years in the big leagues, three with the Pirates, three with uh, the Reds, and then Montreal and and the Cubs for a year apiece. I'm sorry, the Expos and the Cubs a year apiece. 1992, that was his one year in Montreal. Went one and one in 18 games, a 7.2 ERA. So it's not boating well. It's a 49 ERA plus. (laughs) And that equates to a minus 0.7. Plus, he's got the two and ones. It's going to be all that's going to be on that card. So that's going to be a minus 0.8. And you're headed in the wrong direction here. Joe's father pitched for the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 1950s. Huh. Legacy. All right. Wow, you get another cool insert. Well, I'm, you got another insert. I'm not sure this is cool. <laughs> cool insert. These are called Pinnacle Shades. And what these are, are some, it's a picture of a player wearing Oakleys, and then there's a reflection of himself in in the Oakleys. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. And it is none other than Chuck Knobloch. Knobloch. The blockhead. Chuck Knobloch, Nobby or Skipper. Let's see, 12 years in the big leagues. Most of it was with Minnesota. Spent four years with the Yankees and then finished up with one year in Kansas City. In 1992, this is good news for you. 
This is his first, or his, I'm sorry, his second full year in the big leagues. He was the rookie of the year in 1991. In 92, he was an all-star, so you're going to get some bonus points out of that. And let's see, ended up with a 297 average, a 743 OPS, and a 108 OPS+. Plus. He stole 34 bases, walked 88 times, drove in 56. I think you're going you're gonna to do well here. That is a war of 5.3. He's obviously got glasses on because that's the whole thing of <laughs> the idea of the, the card. Yes. So that brings you up to 5.4, and he was an all-star, so you get half a point for that. So you get 5.9 from Chuck Knobloch. Well, Chucky, you know, I can't say I was a huge fan, but I certainly appreciate that. So Chuck Knobloch can be found on Cameo. If, if you wanted to book him for $200, <laughs> he will create a personal message for you. For $200, you better be giving me a hitting lesson. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's expensive. I mean, I've looked through major league players and former major league players on Cameo before, and there are some deals to be had. This is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't think so, no. All right, so that puts you at 4.7. Your next card is a Cubby, and it is none other than Danny Jackson. Danny Jackson. I don't remember a whole lot about him. I remember him as a Cub. 15 years in the big leagues. Wow, and I don't have any recollection. Yeah, he played, he played for a lot of people. His, his longest stint was with the Royals for five years, who he came up with. In 92, he spent half the season with the Cubs and the other half with the Pirates. He ended up going 8-3, and three, or I'm sorry, 8-13. and 13. Led the league in wins in 88 with the Reds with 23 oh. and 15 complete games. Holy okay. smokes, that's a I lot. I remember him now with, he was part of the uh, Reds rotation when the Reds were pretty good. Yeah, he was. Uh, Wasn't thinking that he was uh, on the on the '90 Reds too. So he won yeah. a World Series that year with them. In '92, uh, like I said, eight and 3.83 ERA and a '93 ERA plus, and that equates to a WAR of positive point four. Unfortunately, we'll though, he positive. does have the two and ones there, so it's only going to be a point three. So uh, Danny Jackson played in three World Series. 85 with the Royals, 90 with the Reds, and 93 with the Phillies. He is the only player in Major League history to record an immaculate inning in the World Series. Wow. Where he struck out Terry Pendleton, Tom Nito, and Brian Harper. Wow. Pretty impressive. No doubt. Got, of course, two World Series wins in those, uh, in those victories. All right. Your next card is an Oakland Athletic. That's good for you guy I like, but uh, definitely wearing two-and-ones here. It is infielder extraordinaire Mike Bordick. Oh, man. I was one of the charter members of the Mike Bordick fan club, you know. And he's bunting in this card, which he was fantastic at. <laughs> and really, in those, you know, late 80s, early 90s, bunting a big part of the A's game. Big part. Yeah. I say very facetiously. Uh, so Mike Bordick spent 14 years in the big leagues, seven of it with Oakland, six in Baltimore. I believe he is still a member of the Baltimore Orioles uh, broadcast team. I know he did that for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hear him every now and then. In 2002, he was with Baltimore. Uh, let's see, age 36, hit 232, 81 OPS plus. Not a lot of power. 
Uh, let's see if his defense helped him out. It did. A 2.4 war. Uh, he does have two and ones there, so that'll only be a 2.3, but you're going in the right direction. Wardick, uh, one of the most sure-handed defensive players I've ever seen. January 26th of this year, Bordick was let go by Masson. So I guess this year he was oh. not on the Orioles broadcast. I thought he did a pretty good job when I when I heard him. So you're at 7.3. Uh, you've got another Oriole. Wow, if, you, if we would have chosen the Orioles, we would be doing well. It is Storm Davis. Storm Davis, he uh, won a few games for your A's. Yeah, he did. And I think the Padres and the Royals got around, I think. Uh, let's see. Baltimore, Oakland, Kansas City, Detroit, and the Padres in his 13 years. 19, wow, 1993, he bounced around to a bunch of teams. But in 92, he was with Baltimore. Not a bad year. 7-3, and 3.43 ERA. That is a 117 ERA plus, And that equates to a war of 1.4. Nothing on that card is going to help you out. Positive he is wearing number. my favorite number, uh, let's see, he wore that also with the Padres and the Orioles. With Oakland, he, wear four, he wore 41 and 14 and 15. <laughs> he went through a lot of numbers. Uh, two times he was a member of the World Series winning teams. One in 83 with Baltimore, and then he was on the 89 A's as well. All right, you've got three cards left. You're at 8.7, and you've got a Mariner, so that's good news for you. And he's got glasses on. He's got the science teacher glasses on, which is always good fun. Nice. It's OB, Pete O'Brien. Pete O'Brien, man, I remember when the Mariners signed him. It was a huge deal. It was like their first big, quote-unquote, big free agent signing. Let's see. Pete O'Brien, 12 years in the big leagues. He came up with Texas in 82. And stayed with them all the way through 88, then spent a year in Cleveland, and then finished out his career with four years in Seattle. 92 was his, he was age 34. He only hit 222, 14 home runs, 52 RBI. He only struck out 27 times huh. in 400 at bats. That's pretty good. But his on base was only 289 for an 84 oh, yeah. OPS plus. And all of that equates to a war of minus 0.3. He does have the glasses on, though, so that'll only be a minus 0.2. He did as well for me as he did for the Mariners. <laughs> yeah, that didn't, uh, didn't help you out a whole lot there. All right, next you have got uh, Minnesota Twins. You've got a 92 rookie prospect. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, I remember this name, but I, he never did much. Uh, he does have some really cool real stirrups on, though. It is Jarvis Brown. Yes, I used to call him Cookie Jarvis Brown. I don't get that name. Well, there was a cereal called Cookie Crisp, and the spokes, whatever thing that was, cartoon thing, was Cookie Jarvis. So, <laughs> Wait, I'm, just, I'm assuming it was a cookie jar, and they called him Jarvis? Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember what kind of a thing it was, but... Uh, you know, these commercials, when you're little, they stick with you. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, Cookie Crisp cereal is damn good. It oh, I is agree. So, I mean, it's all sugar, but the best part is the milk after that because it's like you've been dunking your, your chocolate chip cookies in milk for 10 minutes. So I just, good. Cookies for breakfast, man. I mean, that's just like ruining. That's, that's like casting hundreds of years of rules you know, off in, in 10 seconds so you can have cookies for breakfast. Yeah, well, you know, my wife was gone last weekend and I, being an adult, had ice cream for dinner one night. 
So nice. Suck it. Mom and Way dad. to get away with it. Atta boy. <laughs> All right. So let's see. 1992 was his second year in the big leagues with the twins. You're not going to like this. He uh, batted 067. His on base nice. percentage was 222, and his slugging was 067, meaning he had zero extra bases. He had one base hit the entire year and Tore walked twice. Uh, he did steal two bags, but he got he got caught twice. A <laughs> minus 16 OPS, and that might be close to his war, too. Let's see, a minus 0.3. He does have real stirrups on, though, so that'll only be a minus 0.2. Way to go, Cookie. Yeah. It was, isn't Jarvis, is that the name of uh, the of Iron Man, of uh, right. his uh, virtual assistant? That's right. The one and only Jarvis. Let's see. So he did play in the 1991 World Series. He was on the Twins team. He played in three games, went 0 for 2, came in in the ninth inning of Game 7 as a pinch runner and had the chance to become the first rookie in baseball history to score the World Series winning run, but was stranded. The Twins went on to win anyway, so he does have a ring. Oh, there you go. So, good for him. All right, you are down to your final card, and good news for me, it is a member of the New York Metropolitans. Ah! Even better news, when this guy was with Kansas City, he rapped about Ford trucks. (laughs) <laughs> Brad Saberhagen with the New York Mets. Because they got the trucks that are on the ball. From work to play, they've got it all. Oh, man. One of the best pictures of his day. And one of the most overlooked rappers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but rightfully so there. I mean. Let's see. Saberhagen, of course, had a great career. 16 years in the big leagues. 1992. Right in the middle of his, uh, you know, he had a good year in 92. He went three and five. It was his first year uh, with the Mets here. ERA of 3.5. He went three and five, guessing he didn't get a lot of run support. A 101 ERA plus. So really right around uh, the average there. Let's see. That equates to a war of 1.5. But he is on my team. So that's minus half a point. So you're only going to get... A positive one out of that. And uh, that'll bring your grand total to 9.3, which I think is a very obtainable number. Yeah, I'm not real happy with it. You got some cool cards, though. The the Shades and the Grips card are definitely kind of cool. All right. So uh, now we're going to open up my pack. Again, these are loose this week. We're not opening them. But if you want to insert some noises here, like I'm opening a, a wax pack, you can go ahead and do that. All right, crinkle, uh, crinkle, crinkle, and now <laughs> chewing on the gum, crunch, crunch. Okay, go for it. So I am starting out with a 92 rookie prospect as well. He is a pitcher with the Boston Red Sox, and I am unfamiliar with Pete Hoy. Yeah, that's uh, Peter Hoy. You got a? I thought that was an actor. You got a Hoy card. Hoy. Isn't that how Mr. Burns would answer the phone or does answer the phone on The Simpsons? He goes, Ahoy, Hoy. I believe so, yes. I don't know why that came to mind. Uh, Let's see. Pete Hoy pitched one year in the big leagues. That was in 1992. He got into five games, had an ERA of 7.36. I'm not hopeful here. Uh, That is a war of minus 0.1. Nothing on this card is going to help me out. So actually, I will take that minus 0.1. I thought it could be worse, but I don't think he appeared in enough games. He is apparently the uh, head coach, baseball coach at St. Lawrence University. 
so he's got that going for him, and he did appear in the big leagues. So, all right, I'm going to stay in Boston. One of our favorites. Uh, here we go. He's got a bad look here because he's got the high tops on, so I can't tell if he's got real stirrups. Uh, but we also don't mind this for that anymore. But uh, here he is, outfielder, left-handed batter, Mike Greenwell. Oh yes, Mike was a dangerous batter for a little while there. He would he could hit for average. He had some pop. He was quick, all around good ball player. Yeah, the Red Sox were really good then. It's just they couldn't beat the A's in the ALCS. Couldn't do it. Uh, let's see. We've had Greeny quite a few times before. 12 years in the big leagues. Every single career at bat of his was with the Boston Red Sox. 1992, he was injured for a good part of the year. Only appeared 49 games. Two home runs, 18 RBI, 307 on base, and a 278 slugging for a 62 OPS+. Plus. And that equates to a war of minus 0.9. Ouch. Jeez. Mike, you're not helping me out here. I am now at a even minus one after two cards. Wow, so far so good. Yeah, it's like I've given up two grand slams in the first two innings of a playoff game. Not good. That um, hurts, man. That hurts. Yeah, 1988, definitely his best year in the big leagues. Came in second in the MVP voting. All-star, silver slugger, led the league in intentional walks with 18. High number for Mike Greenwell. Uh, Gator. So, you know, Ron Guidry is the only Gator. Brent Gates was called Gator, too. Was he? Uh, Greenwell, runner-up the 88 MVP to Jose Canseco. And after uh, Canseco's admission to using steroids, Greenwell asked, where's my MVP? <laughs> and rightfully so. Yeah. Let's see. He was called Gator because during spring training one year, he captured an alligator, taped its mouth shut, and put it in Ellis Burke's locker. <laughs> wow. Wow. Also, I didn't know that. I don't, how did we not talk about this? After retirement, begin driving late model stock cars and actually won the 2000 Speed Weeks track championship. In 2006, he made his Craftman Truck Series debut, finishing 20th. Or no, he finished 26th, and he gave up racing in 2010. Weird. How did we not know? He raced in two NASCAR Truck Series races, so he only, he only raced in two. His best finish in NASCAR was 69th, but <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. That is a hey, two-sport athlete. Yeah, how about that? Also owned a restaurant called Mike Greenwell's Bat a Ball and Family Fun Park. Nice. Oh, it is an amusement park, not a restaurant. Wow. He's done a lot. He's had a full life. Next, uh, I got a member of the Guardians here. Same card. Well, it's a different card than you had, but same pitcher. This is Charles Nagy's actual card. Oh, okay. So, well, we know he had real good numbers. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't remember what they were, but nothing on this card is going to help me out. They were terrible. Oh, well, that'll go right along with it. I'm already at minus one. Uh, let's see. Charles Nagy that year ended up with a war of uh, 6.0. How did how, how did we what? Wait a minute. So, Mark, I think we actually skipped looking at his war because we were concentrating on his card because it was a yeah. card. 
uh, because this was a great year for Charles Nagy. He went 17 and 10 with a 2.96 ERA. That's a 132 ERA plus. He struck out 169 and was an all-star and came in seventh in Cy Young voting and had a 6.0 war. So wow. neither of us seem to remember adding six and a half points to your score. So what we're going to do here is we're going to hold off. And if I somehow get back into this, we'll throw that back on your score. You might not need well, it. We, uh, we, we both had Nagy, so it kind of negates one another. So I think we're still okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, well, let's see, because I don't, I don't remember what we gave you on that. If, okay. we, if we gave you, you seem to think it was, it was a bad number. So it was uh, so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll revisit that uh, if we need to. All right. Next, I have got, well, this is good for me. I've got a New York Met. They're my my boys. So I've got a guy we've had quite a few times. It's John Franco. Oh, yeah. Uh, And he has got real stirrups on here. And uh, if we were still doing mustache points, he is, uh, he's got a two-pointer. All right. So John Franco, uh, good career, of course, left-handed. Reliever, closer, 21 years. 1992, he was with the Mets. Went 6-2 and two with a 1.64 ERA. Only 15 saves. I'm wondering hmm. if... Well, he only appeared in 31 games. So I'm guessing he was either not their closer or he was hurt. That is a 217 ERA plus. I'll take that all day. And that wow. equates to a war of 1.7. He is on the Mets, so I get half a point of war. So that's 2.2. And he's got real stirrups. That's 2.3. And that will take, that actually takes me up to 7.8. So we're probably going to have to add some points on to your, uh, to your score. Next, I've got another member of the Oakland Athletics. We've talked about him and his history with the Go-Go's. It is Bob Welch. That's right. Bob Welch, uh, the, what was it, the Fifth member or the sixth member of the Go-Go? He was just their muse. Just their <laughs> muse. Um, see, apparently Bob Welch Jr., uh, not related, is also a member of Fleetwood Mac. Oh, wow. But uh, we've talked about Bob Welch so many times. I don't think we need to cover the stuff other than his stats. Two-time member, uh, two-time World Series champion. Once with 89 with the uh, A's and then in 81 with the Dodgers. Let's see, in 1992, he was with Oakland. Of his 17 years in the big leagues, 10 were with LA, 7 were with Oakland. In 1992, went 11-7 with a 3.27 ERA, a 114 ERA plus, and that equals a war of 2.5. I'll take it. Not bad. Yeah, so that puts me up at 10.3. I think we're going to have to add, what is it, six and a half for, for, uh, Nagy. for, for Nagy. So that would actually put you at 15.8 as your score. And I'm at okay. 10.3. I think, that's, I think that's fair. I still have five cards left. So we'll see how okay. this ends up. Next, I have got a pitcher for the San Diego Dads. It is, oh, it's St. George, Utah's own Bruce Hurst. Bruce Hurst. Yeah, I remember him mostly as a Boston Red Sox player, but... Uh... He, he was good wherever he went. Uh, lefty, give you 200-plus innings a year. Yep, left-handed pitcher. 15 years in the big leagues, most of it with Boston. Nine in Boston, five in San Diego. 1992, he was 34 years old. 
in San Diego, 14 and 9, 3.84 ERA. It's pretty good. Uh, 93 ERA plus. That equates to a war of 1.0. Let's see if those are real stirrups. Oh, yeah, definitely real stirrups. I can see space between them. So that'll get me a 1.1. Do, do I get extra points for knowing where they were born? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> so. Bruce Hurst, as you mentioned, was on the Red Sox for a good portion of his career. Believers in the curse of the Bambino pointed out that the letters in Bruce Hurst's name can be rearranged to spell B. Ruth Curse. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's great. All right. So uh, next, I uh, got another one of these guys that was on the 1990 Reds team that beat the A's. It is catcher Joe Oliver. Joe Oliver, here's a little tidbit of trivia for you. Uh, when he was playing with the Mariners in 2001, after uh, we after it was discovered, we discovered who let the dogs out, the song, the first person we ever played it for was Joe Oliver. I thought you were going to say you discovered that he was indeed the one that left the dog, that let the dogs out, but no. It have been. Does it say anything on his Wikipedia about letting the dogs out? Uh, we'll see here. Let's look at his All numbers right. first. In 1992, he was with Cincinnati. Still a young buck, 26 years old. He was a catcher in the in the 80s and 90s, so offense just bonus. Uh, let's see. He did have 10 home runs, two stolen bases, uh, not too bad, a 96 OPS plus, and that equals a war of 1.5. Uh, he does have the two and ones, though, so that's only going to be a 1.4. That'll bring me up, though, to 12.8. I am three behind you with, I think, three cards left to go. Now, he's been a manager in the minor leagues uh, in several places, but nothing about him letting the dogs out. All right, next, we've got another member of the Mets. I like this. A lot of Mets. I don't. We have not had a single person from, uh, from the Hammers, have we? No. All right, with the Mets, despite... Despite the fact that his last name is Boston, he's playing for New York here. It's Daryl Boston. Daryl Boston, who uh, came up on our uh, geography, all geography baseball play. Uh, let's, and who else is on that? Uh, who else is on that list? Freddie Somebody New York. named Austin. <laughs> Freddie New York and Steve San Francisco. All right. So 11 years in the big leagues for Daryl Boston. 1992, he was with the Mets. Uh, hit 249, 338 on base, 426, slugging for a 117 OPS plus. He had 11 home runs, 35 RBI, 12 stolen bases. He stole 98 bags in his career. Never really think of Daryl Boston as having speed. That is good for half a point of war. He is with the Mets, so I get a half a point there to bring me to a full point. And uh, he's got two and ones on, so that's only going to be a point nine. That'll bring my total up to 13.7 with two cards left, and I'm two points. Battle. Down. It's a yeah, battle. It's coming down to the Battle of the Bullpens. Daryl's father, Henry, played Negro League baseball with the Cincinnati Tigers. No kidding. Yeah. That's cool. And uh, had a twin brother who once played in the Reds organization as well. All right. Well, this is, this is a great card. I don't know if this is going to get me anything. This is so 80s, even though this is a 92 pack, but it's Jim Burkett. So he's a little bit older at this point. This is a sidelines card, which shows players. This is the sidelines is, is the one where, you know, Tom Glavin is is in hockey skates. 
So here we've got John Burkett, really the Mookie Betts of his days, because John Burkett was a great bowler. And here he is bowling on a baseball card. Does he have a snake around his neck? Wow, if he had a snake around his neck while he was bowling, that would just be, that would be the best. He's bowled three 300 games and aspires to turn pro when his baseball career is over. Wow, three 300 games. I'm, I think Mookie Betts has rolled a 300 before. Probably, he's supposed to be amazing. Uh, I threw a 300, uh, a 300 series once. I was going to say, I think if you total all of your pins in your entire life, you might have 300. Maybe. All right, let's see. John Burkett. In 1992, he was with the Giants. Good year, 13 and 9, 3.84 ERA. That is an 87 ERA plus, so actually not that great. Uh, And that equates to a war of minus 0.4. Do I get bonus points for, for having a bowling ball? I believe that's not in the rules, no. What about these acid wash jeans that he's sporting? Those are sweet. With his polo shirt tucked in. I mean, there is a lot of, lot of nice style going on here. Uh, let's see if he did indeed turn pro on the, on the PBA afterwards. Uh, professional bowling. Part-time professional bowler has 32 perfect games now to his credit. Wow. I think that's, that's a lot. Amazing. I feel like that's a lot. Wow. Uh, he cashed in several PBA tour events following his baseball days. Joined the former, he, he's now joined the senior tour. And he finished 15th in the 2015 Suncoast PBA Senior Open. Pretty impressive. Oh, he had, he had an ankle surgery in 2016 that cut his season short. But he's back on the tour apparently after that. Very nice. Oh, and, and he won an event, the uh, PBA Houston Emerald Bowl Southwest Challenge in 2019. His first PBA title. Nice. All right, I'm down to my last card. I have uh, a score of 13.3. You are 15.5, so I need two and a half here. And Ooh. I have got a San Francisco Giant. At least he's got real stirrups. So right <laughs> out of the bat, I'm I'm at least... I'm at half a point. It is Bud Black. Ooh, he could have had a good year that year. Another lefty starter. Yeah, went on to manage, obviously. Uh, 92, he was with the Giants, went 10 and 12, 3.97 ERA, led the league in home runs given up with 23, and has an 84 ERA plus. So I'm not confident here. That equates to a war of minus 0.4, so it'll actually get me a plus 0.1 because of the, uh, or no, it won't even do that. It doesn't matter. He's got real stirrups. I was thinking he was on the Mets. Doesn't matter. He doesn't help me at all. Harry Bud Black, that's not cool. I'll, I'll somehow get over it, but that uh, does give you the win, Mark, and uh, that'll bump you well, up to six uh, wins to my four. How about that? Yeah, as Mel Allen would say. How about that? All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. Again, thank you to uh, to my best friend, Mike Scott, 
for uh, throwing just a literal ton of baseball cards my way. I have got, this has got, they're just all loose and they are, it's literally five layers high in this thing. I haven't even been able to get down two or three layers. Just a ton of cards. I'm hoping some of, some of them are from years that maybe we haven't opened before. Very cool. All right, let us uh, start to wrap up this show. If you just can't get enough of us, which I know a lot of people just can't. My wife is one person that can, apparently. But uh, if you can't, you can get a hold of us throughout the week on social media. We are posting throughout the week at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch. But uh, we'll get all that. We also have a straight up email address that Mark likes to look at. Yes, go ahead and write to us at Two Strike Noise. Spell it out. Two Strike Noise at gmail.com. All right. Thank you uh, once again for listening to us, and uh, we will see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.